namotasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namotasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namotasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa buddhang dhammang sangkang namasang Thank you for the questions that have come this evening. And I thought uh, I could mention that uh, some of the comments that I hear back from people uh, who listen to these talks, that's people who come here on Sunday night, but also uh, people who download them from the Internet, because probably many of you are aware um, I think it's Chris, somebody over here anyway, uploads them as a podcast every Monday night and they are downloaded by quite a lot of people and heard by quite a lot of people. And so some of the feedback that I I get is that uh, people really appreciate hearing other people's questions. Um, uh, In a way, it's like um, sometimes you've got a question, you don't know how to formulate it and somebody else asks you a question. Sometimes it just works like that. Sometimes you didn't even know you had a question. Um, but in some ways, it, to me, it feels like when these questions are submitted, it's in a way, it's like stewarding a, a kind of group contemplation, you know, the, the spiritual community that we're all a part of. Uh, these questions like emerge out of it. You might think that it's your question, but who knows? Maybe it's somebody else's question you're asking. Maybe it's a, a group question. Anyway, I thought to mention this by way of encouragement because it is really appreciated. And not just by me, and I hear that those of you that ask the questions also like to have, have your questions addressed, but, but perhaps we could also see it in the, in the bigger picture that it's, it's something to do with us as a, as a spiritual community. So um, do ask your questions. And one of the ones that's asked this evening is if an act of... So antisocial behavior is observed, what should be done from a Buddhist perspective? Ignore it and walk away or confront the situation? Well, there are probably a variety of ways of addressing such a question and perhaps the standard almost obvious way of addressing it would be uh, to come up with a, an answer, a direct answer about, well, if I was in that situation, I would do this. Um, but it reminds me of what it was like when, when I remember at the age of 18, 19 and in New Zealand, and there was still conscription in those days, and it was the time of the Vietnam War, and uh, I was, you know, waiting to be called up. Not that we were, would have been forced to go to Vietnam, but uh, we could have been forced to do military training, and and I thought about it and I decided, well, actually, I'm not, you know, this is not what I, I believe in. And so I registered as CO, Conscientious Objector, and, and then got to reading and hearing and thinking about what happens when you go before the, uh, the panel where they question you. And, of course, they ask you questions like, if you saw your mother being raped and murdered, what would you do? I mean, <laughs> how do you answer that question? Well, you know, 
My answer would be, I don't know what I would do. And that's the truth. I mean, and, and likewise with this question, um, you know, these questions about what would you do if you're in this situation. Um, the truth is, we don't know what we would do. However, of course, we can speculate and we can have ideals about how, what we think we should do. But I think it's, it's very important from a practice perspective, to be aware that we're talking about ideals. We're not talking about reality. Yes, there's a place for ideals. And, and this is not always understood. In fact, perhaps it's rarely understood. People mistake ideals for the reality. You know, it's, it's obvious, like, when we, we have ideas about the past and we start having all sorts of emotions and reactions about the past as if the past is happening all over again. When in fact all that's happening is there's this movement in our minds, or the future. Um, have some meeting to go to. I was talking to somebody a couple of days ago and they, they'd been asked to sit in as a kind of a moderator or mediator between two very volatile characters who'd had a big falling out and, and they needed to talk things over and and this poor chap had been asked to sit in the middle of it, and and uh, it's a kind of sort of anxiety. That anxiety, what was that anxiety in relation to? The anxiety is in relation to a fantasy, to an idea, to an image, to what we imagine might happen. So, in reality, the anxiety is not called for, is it? The anxiety. Okay, if there's if something happening, like. You know, if, if suddenly a ball of fire bursts up in the back of the Dhamma Hall here, that's real, that's actually happening. And I run and get Liz and save her so that she doesn't get hurt. And That's my ideal. That's what I would like to do. Yeah. But if it's the reality, we can't, you know, the reality is instant. The reality is instant. And we can't say what's going to happen in terms of reality. And so I think to contemplate these questions, it's important to, to say, yes, okay, I have the ideal, like with war, you know, I, I don't believe that uh, killing is uh, a good idea. I believe in harmlessness. And in, in a situation like this, uh, it's antisocial behavior. You see somebody beating somebody up or smashing something. Or, you know, well, obviously, you know, from a Buddhist perspective, obviously we're not going to ignore it. Uh, at the very least, we're going to contemplate it. But... <laughs> But maybe, you know, presumably this person's asking about the action, what we're actually going to do. Well, you know, well, I hear this question saying, well, how can I, how can I be in a way that I'm not going to lose self-respect? Yeah. We see some antisocial behavior going on. So what would I do if I was in that situation? Think, oh, I'm a, you know, I don't know whether I'd be brave enough. You know, maybe they've got knives or maybe this or whatever. And then, and we can start feeling anxious and worried. And, yeah. and so there is a genuine concern. of, of we, we don't want to do something that's going to compromise our principles. But as I start off by saying, it's important that we understand the difference between principles and ideals and the reality. We can't say what we will do. But we can contemplate what we think is a good idea. And so we can prepare ourselves 
but we don't just prepare ourselves by having the best ideals about what to do. We can read what the Buddha said about harmlessness and generosity and sensitivity and time and place and mindfulness and, and love and compassion. But how can we prepare ourselves in a way so that if these things are actually happening in front of us, we're going to be in the best position to operate out of those ideals? That's another question. But I think that's a very important question because... Otherwise, we can be grasping at these ideals and thinking that we've got it sussed. And then the reality comes along and we haven't got it sussed at all. I mean, it's just like, like you know, talking about dealing with a difficult situation, saying, okay, these two people, I know these two people, they're both really tough, difficult characters and, and so this one's going to say this and that one's going to say that and so I better say this and then I better say that and we, so we sort it all out and beforehand. And then we get there and then the reality is totally different but where are we when we're faced with the reality we're once removed from ourselves imagining how we're supposed to be behaving in that situation because from the very beginning we were making the mistake of taking the image of ourselves too seriously so in considering a question like this what should we do in a situation if we're observing anti-social behavior well, yes, we, we, we know about harmlessness, we know about all the right principles, but what should we really do? What can we do in terms of preparing ourselves? Well, I think it comes back to this, uh, this basic practice of, of learning to investigate the whole relationship we have with this idea of ourselves. You know, like speaking last week about the uh, relative function of the ego, the ego is just so, the self-structure is just so, it's got its place. So we're not uh, demonizing it, we're not trying to get rid of it. But if we're possessed by it, if we're taking it too seriously, if we believe we are this habit of mental activity, which we refer to as personality, me, ego belief, if we believe this is who and what we are, then we're investing in something that's not real. It's, a, it's an image, it's a ghost, it's an hallucination, it's an apparent reality. Now, the reason I find this contemplation and this approach very helpful is that it brings us back to reality. We are, in fact, establishing ourselves in the, the optimum position of being able to act in a situation whereby we won't compromise our self-respect yeah. because we're not getting... Well, there's a less chance, there's less chance that we'll get caught up in the image of ourselves. There'll be more of us there, in other words. There'll be more of us there to receive the situation, to feel the situation, to feel how we feel about the situation. So thinking about any sort of a challenging situation in the future... Now, some people might think this is a cop-out by not having a position of what we should do. Uh, well, I would suggest that all positions, all imagined positions or perspectives that we have about how we should be in such a situation need to be seen in perspective. The images, the ideas, and the relative to this moment. 
this moment, we can sit here and we think, I should do this, I should do that, but this moment is very different. There's nothing antisocial going on here, is there? So if there's something actually antisocial going on in front of us, what are we smelling? What are we hearing? What are we seeing? What are we tasting? What are we touching? What are we thinking? If what we're thinking in that situation is what we're thinking in this situation, which is, you know, about our self-image, well, then there's not a very good chance that we will be there for the situation to really respond to it. Rather, there's a better or a greater likelihood that we'll react out of some sort of conditioning. React from a perspective of personality belief. So there's all sorts of tests that less than scrupulous psychologists have done over the years that uh, put people under a lot of pressure and then they get you to, uh, they get you to observe what you believe is uh, some torture going on. And the, then they measure the degree to which you were affected by peer group pressure. And sadly, uh, it was a kind of tragic indictment against ignorant human personalities that uh, it is very much the case that uh, most people are very, very uh, affected by the peer group, and even to the extent where they are willing to not just observe but even to inflict or imagine they are inflicting a torture on somebody. From the perspective of classic Buddhist teachings, uh, the answer to this is that uh, we need to focus our interest, we need to stimulate our interest on the reality of what it is that's being intimidated here. What is the process of intimidation when we get intimidated by peer group pressure? In my own case, I I can remember when I first came across Buddhist teachings, one of the things that really inspired me was the, uh, the teaching that you can get beyond personality belief. I can remember thinking at the time that what would I do if I was in Nazi Germany? This was something I used to to have a problem with because I would get dragged along to these revivalist meetings where they would, everybody be praising Jesus and waving flaming torches and and you're supposed to go up the front and say you've been saved. And and I know there were a number of occasions where I basically bought into this group pressure and went along with it and said that I was saved and, and all the rest of it. And so, well, if I'm willing to do that, perhaps if I was in Nazi Germany, I would have been willing to do other, uh, worse gestures of compromise. And so I remember as a teenager, this used to uh, worry me a lot. And then coming across the Buddhist teaching, which talked about the first stage of, of uh, enlightenment, the first stage of really entering onto the path of realization, what's called Sotapanna, the... Um, one of, the, one of the characteristics of this is what's called Sakaya Ditti or, or, or seeing through Sakaya Ditti, which is personality belief. And that this is something that human beings can realize. Now, the Buddha wasn't, as we discussed last week, talking about you know, there's something wrong with personality, you know, just, but just that what personality belief is needs to be recognized. And this, so this is something we can do. And this is in terms of preparing ourselves for acting in a truly appropriate way when confronted with such a thing as antisocial behavior. Do we want to be reacting out of 
you know, some conditioned personality belief, like what I've been programmed to do, yeah. or would we rather be in a position where we could truly respond to the situation from a place of selflessness? So if it's the latter, well, then there's a lot we can do about it. And uh, certainly it's not ignoring these things and walking away. Um, even when, for instance, we're not necessarily directly present and observing uh, antisocial behavior where we read about it in the newspaper or, or see it on the television and you see something and, and then the thought or the fear comes up and, and uh, say, well, what would I do if I was in that situation? Right there and then we can have an experience of I. I would succeed, I would fail. Maybe I'm too weak and I would run away. No, I'm going to be a hero and I'm going to stand up to them. And we have this, these stories go through our minds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all of these stories and images, self-images, are perfectly appropriate, perfectly understandable. Yeah. Nothing wrong with these images. But if we don't see them as just conditioned images, then what happens? We, we believe there's something more than that. Yeah, again, it's like watching, like watching a movie. Now, the reality of the movie is a very good image. The reality of the movie is, well, these days I don't know how they project movies, but the old-fashioned thing, you know, you've got this projector and a little box and you've got a man up there kind of chewing gum and smoking and, and then there's this shaft of light going through a smoky room and a big white screen and there's this flickering goes on and, and you sit there. The re that's the reality of it. There's this light flickering and, and so we're all smart enough to know what's going on. But we can be sitting in that room observing that flickering and forget that it's a projected image of flickering light, believe in it, get excited, depressed, enjoy it, hate it, agree with it, disagree with it, cry, laugh, jump up and down. Yeah. Why? Because we forget. Now, we do that in a the movie theatre, um, because we want to forget, because the miserable consequences of the tedium of being a deluded ego is so horrible that we want to distract ourselves, and so we, we, we just lose ourselves in the thing and get a break from the understandable consequences of being ignorant. But it's also a helpful metaphor for what goes on with life, that the stories that, for instance, go through our heads, yeah. they're just stories. Uh, images, conditioned, all conditioned by the past, all conditioned by things that have been and gone. And they've got their place. They, 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 they've got their functional value. It's not, we're not saying there's something wrong with them. But if we don't understand them, what do we do? Well, we believe that something more than they really are. It's just like, you know, got my hand in front of my face. Well, I know I've got my hand in front of my face, so I'm not worried about the fact that I can't see anybody. But if I forget, you know, maybe if I'm like a, a two-week-old child you know, that doesn't actually have a perspective on it, doesn't have a perspective on it, then what happens? Maybe they start crying and screaming and getting upset because there's not right understanding. Yeah. I've got enough understanding, and that's not a problem. Just move the hand and everything just is like that. And, 
but with our fantasies, with our ideals, with our memories, if we forget the reality of them, then what do we do? We lose perspective. To the degree that we lose perspective, we lose our heart energy and that heart energy gets kidnapped or seduced and taken over by these hallucinations. And then we create out of grasping, classic Buddhist teaching, we create out of grasping a world. It can be a wonderful world or it can be a frightening world, it can be a threatening world. Usually to some degree it's threatening. Yeah. But the good news is that all of this, all of this can be picked up as a contemplation. Yeah. Even including getting lost. Yeah. I like doing this with uh, sometimes if I'm at somebody's place and I'm, I'm watching a, a movie on the, on the television or a DVD and you know, kind of moving along the story. I like to just turn it off in the middle of the story, in the middle of the film. See, so, okay, how lost was I? Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. We can measure. This is something we can actually measure. Mm. Come back to the body and breathe. And, uh, or just looking away from the television screen. You're watching television. And, and, yeah. mm. Maybe some news broadcast and there's indignation coming up. You see one of those faces that the most famous people on the planet and you have a, a gut reaction. Yeah. Are we in the center of our lives in that moment? Are we really in a position to take responsibility for ourselves if because of a CNN broadcast we're having an emotional reaction? Well, we're slaves to CNN, BBC even. So the asking of this question, I, I can understand the, the uh, concern uh, um, of not wanting to do something that is going to cause us to uh, compromise our integrity. We don't, want to, we don't want to react in these situations in a way that uh, uh, betrays our commitment to the Buddha's teaching or to the Buddha himself or to the Buddhist community. But how to actually prepare ourselves so as to not do that, well, I think we want to hold our ideals very lightly. Ideals have their place, you know. You know, really, you know. Ideals, like this community, this is a community based on ideals. We have these ideals, these wonderful ideals of living together in peace and harmony and contentment. Well, how much peace and harmony of contentment is there here? Yeah, I mean, you talk to anybody in this community and somebody's going to, well, they're probably sufficiently restrained to not tell you how they really feel. Yeah. But there's, you know, there's always discontentment going on on some level, a little ripples of disharmony and a lack of peace and somebody's always rubbing somebody up the wrong way and you know, we, sometimes we're you know, called hypocrites yeah. somebody mentioned this recently so you really place is really hypocritical and uh, I never questioned them on it didn't really find out what they really meant by it but I can understand that if you think that ideals are reality because the ideals we live by are very noble but the reality is, well, we're just a bunch of blokes, you know, pretty well-intentioned and 
quite frankly, we're getting on very well. You know, if you look at the way the world is and, uh, and what's going on, um, the amount of energy that we consume and, and the way we deal with difficulties and so on, I think it's uh, really pretty beautiful and, 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 and wonderful. But it's not the ideal, no doubt about that. And so I think this is important that when we're dealing with ideals, we see them as like images, the images that we have of how the world could be or how we should be. And that's fine to have these ideals, you know, to be harmless, to be compassionate, to be mindful, you know, to be sensitive according to time and place. Um, but how to actualize that, how to be that way in the moment. If we believe in our strategies too much, I should be like this. I really should be. I really should be like this. If we, it's like we're holding our ideal too tightly. It's like, it's like looking in the mirror at your image and then thinking the image is you. Some time ago I was up in Scotland and I, I got a, uh, a tick in my eyelid. I take my glasses off. Well, I can't see my eyelid. Put your glasses on where you can't get to the eyelid. And it's very frustrating. And you're looking in the mirror trying to see this tick or see where the tick's gone or whatever. And, well, can you imagine if I was to actually start putting cream on the mirror? I mean, that would be insane, wouldn't it? That would be insane. It really would be insane. So you've got to put some cream on, get rid of this tick. Well, that's what we do. That's what we do with our self-image. Yeah. Our personality belief, our idea of how I should and shouldn't be. Yes, we have ideas of how we should and shouldn't be. If we hold them too tightly, we're mistaking them for being something that they're not. The, these principles, these ideals, are things that guide us. You know, as Smader used to talk about ideals as being like stars that you use to get your orientation as you cross, cross the ocean. You know, you, you know. Well, these days, I suppose you have a sat-nav, but uh, a few years ago, you'd... You'd look at the stars with your, what's that thing called? A sextant, is that right? A, you're a sailor, aren't you? Yeah. Sextant, you look at the stars and you get your bearings and so you go this direction. But you don't expect to get to the stars, right? But you're looking at the stars. You're looking, really looking at the stars and say, what are you looking at the stars for when you want to go there? So, well, because we understand. You understand the principle. You look in this direction, but you go in this direction. This is the reality. The reality is like this. The reality is this, this moment. The reality is always this moment. And it's quite different from the ideals. I find that very helpful and important to bear in mind as we're contemplating these things. So there are several other questions, but they're actually of a different nature. So I think I'll leave it there for this evening. Thank you very much this evening for your attention.